You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to the Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead at all things in politics and government in North Carolina. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We thank you for joining us. As we promised last week, you know, we were uh, recording right at the time of the selection of Margaret Spellings as the new UNC president. That was unfolding, and we promised that we would revisit that, and that is, of course, what we will do right from the beginning. We have with us Jane Stansel of the News and Observer, pretty much the only authority on this entire story uh, from beginning to end, so uh, really excited to have uh, Jane with us today. Jane, your first time on the Domecast, right? My first time on the Domecast. Very good. And, uh, of course, Lynn Bonner also has been reporting on this story as it unfolded. Uh, Lynn Bonner will join us as well as we discuss uh, a really interesting story, an important story, and one that is in some ways unresolved. And so we will uh, break that down as we move forward. But really, let's start with uh, Jane Stansel, the process itself. I mean, this was this was really one where, you know, high-level officials, you have a search, you know, there's there's some little bit of chatter, and then somebody gets picked, and, and on we go. But that is not, of course, how this unfolded. It started with the... Uh, you know, removal of Tom Ross as president, and then the selection starts going, and really the process became as big of a story as anything, and you were following that all, all along. Is it fair to say that, that, that this was, uh, you know, uh, to use a word, messy? I would say very messy, um, and very unusual that we had uh, all these emails flying back and forth. Um, you had the legislature getting involved, which was unusual. Um, so I, I think what was going on was there was um, disagreement within the board. You know, there were 11 people on the search committee, but the board is 32 members. So people who were not on the search committee but on the board were feeling uh, excluded uh, that this was too secret. They wanted to know what was going on. They wanted to have input. Um, they apparently uh, were unhappy with the chairman, John Fenebresque, and the way he was running the show. They complained to the legislature. Um, the legislature uh, put out this bill that basically um, required that um, the search committee bring forward three names to the full board for consideration. At one point, there was an amendment that actually would have required uh, a public disclosure of the three names, which has never really happened before. So that would that would have been and that even passed in a vote at some point, as I recall. In the House, yeah. yeah, passed in the House. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but then uh, was not in the final uh, bill. But you know, uh, and that would have actually required a public debate by the board on the three names. Um, which I was pretty excited about, actually. That would have been really great to be in the room when that was going on. But uh, so, so it was a, it was very unusual to have all these things happening at once while the search committee is trying to, you know, narrow down its pool and keep the people in the pool. Um, they were no doubt getting nervous about all the unrest here in North Carolina. Uh, 
among the board and among the legislature. So. And the faculty, where you we would the, and, occasionally and, hear from the faculty in all of this, Yeah, right? and the faculty um, who have been very critical of this board of governors for, um, for various reasons um, ended up defending the board in the end because uh, about this amendment because they didn't they didn't feel like the legislature should be getting involved in this whatsoever so here they were sort of asking governor mccrory not to sign that bill um because they didn't want legislative intervention in the process which, which was just kind of ironic because they've been bashing this board all along and and in the end the the faculty were very unhappy that they had no input whatsoever um, in terms of the fine looking at finalists and talking to finalists and now they, do the, in the past have the faculty been weighing in on the finalists is that something not really that, I mean it's it hasn't been a standard operating procedure I mean they, the, the faculty are, all, are never part of the search committee for president they're they're um, on this leadership statement committee so they help come up with you know what kind of person do we need what are the qualities we want that kind of thing but they rarely have been sort of involved at the at the final stages but i think they felt like especially when um you know when the news came out that it was margaret spellings that they were going to interview you know they felt like well we should be able to talk to these last few people and and her included and um you know she needs to know she needs to have our input and so uh, they were pretty unhappy about that and they were really unhappy when they found out that she had met with the governor but not met with them mm-hmm. interesting now we do know a little bit about other people who were interviewed by the board is that right uh, not a lot of names, but uh, what right. what do we know about sort of who did they end up talking with, um, and, and and that part? Of, let's bring a close to sort of that part of the process. They did interview uh, what a dozen people or so. Yeah, they said um, they started out and you know months and months ago was two hundred names. Um, they um, reviewed more closely thirty five people on paper. And then they interviewed 14. Okay, interviewed 14. Yeah. And so uh, among the ones they interviewed uh, were Margaret Spellings, of course, four North Carolina business leaders, four academic leaders, two civic leaders, and two milita- military leaders. And we, and we understand that the final three names that were presented to the board uh, were two military uh people and one in a, in an academic setting so uh, that's what we know we don't know names interesting uh were, and were there is it your sense there were factions on the board of governors that were pushing and pulling in one way or the other in the midst of all of this were there other candidates being actively advanced and uh you know factions developing and and that whole that whole dynamic playing out uh, on the board itself? Well, I, th- I think that there were factions on the board, but they were not necessarily driven by uh, we want this candidate or that candidate. I think they were um, just, you know, there were, there were more than a few members very unhappy with the chairman. Now, whether that's because 
of the way he ran the search or whether that's just sort of the way he's operated all along. He's been something of a lightning rod, for, uh, shall we say. And so uh, there was a lot of anger about that and um, just just sort of internal strife. Um, and in the middle of all of this, I mean, as they're getting toward the end, there are calls for Fenebrusk to resign. I mean, you wrote the story like the, the day that Margaret Spelling was, was here about this giant implosion um, on the board with calls for resignation. And it just got incredibly, um, you know, <laughs> mucked up by yeah. all of the uh, strife on the board. Right. Uh, which was, it's a really interesting dynamic when right. you look at yeah. sort of what's happening I mean, if you look at that, if you look at that week, on Wednesday afternoon, search committee met. Um, that was sort of their final meeting. Um I was sitting outside that room, and uh, a representative from the faculty, Steve Leonard, who went to every search committee meeting, that man deserves an award, and never got in. You know what I mean? Never got never got to talk to them. But anyway, um, so uh, we're sitting out the, of that outside of that room at SAS, which is where they held their meetings, and then then we hear the next day, oh, they're calling an emergency meeting for Friday. And that's when I found out that it was Margaret Spellings who was coming in, and the legislature, uh, the leaders in the legislature, um, Phil Berger, um, Tim Moore, sent a letter, very stern letter, reminding the search committee and the board of the law that they, that had just been passed, and you need to follow the law, and you need to have three candidates, even though it hasn't been signed yet. <laughs> this is what we want. Yeah, right. So, so uh, you know, this big emergency meeting is happening on Friday, basically to interview Margaret Spellings. The other three names that were put forward, those people were not there. But the night before the meeting, emails are just flying with uh, board members calling on Fenebrest to step down and saying this, pro you know, now we've angered the legislature and this is just a, a big mess and, and, you know, it was, it got very ugly. And, so and yeah. Fenebrest now has resigned. Has, has that all died down now? I mean, is she coming into kind of calm waters? I'm not so sure she is. I think she's coming into a big question mark situation because, you know, we know that the vice chairman, uh, Lou Bissett, who is the former mayor of Asheville, is going to be, he will be the chair at least for the next 30 days until they can pick a new chair. We don't know who the new chair is going to be. We don't know who's, you know, there's always sort of jockeying who's going to be, who's going to run, who's going to, you know, get enough votes to win. Um, but she's, I would say she's coming into a very uncertain situation. Yeah. She's going to have a lot of people to win over, um, I'm assuming, the faculty um, who have big questions, um, political leaders who um, still seem um, maybe a little miffed that she met with McCrory and didn't meet them when she was here. Um, she's going to have to put a lot of her political skills to work, I, I, I imagine. I would say so. I think her biggest challenge will be the faculty because, you know, uh, she comes in with, um, you know, she's an outsider. Uh, she doesn't know North Carolina. She um, she does not have an advanced degree. She has not been at, in an academic institution other than a, a really short period of time where he, she was at 
Austin Community College in Texas uh, early in her career. But but really, she has not been in an academic setting. Uh, so that's going to be a huge um, hill for her to climb, I think. But everyone says she has fantastic political skills, so maybe she can pull this off. I have a, a one sort of question about that. Obviously, this is not the chancellor of a university. This is the president of the system. She would be in a role of hiring chancellors, right? That's right. Dealing with the legislature on the interest of the entire system. And so I wonder uh, if you might help us understand, you know, I think of a chancellor having to deal with the faculty and, and whatnot, but, but not necessarily the president of the system having to be tuned in as much to the faculty as they do really the legislature. Well, that's true. And and she will not have a lot of direct, um, you know, direct communication and dealings with the faculty. But she kind of has to be, I mean, she's, she's, you know, she's the figurehead. She's, um, she's the face of the system. She's the one that has to make things happen in terms of resources for the 17 campuses. Um, so, you know, people will be lurking, looking to her. Um, now it's true that, you know, it, you don't necessarily have to be some PhD professor to be the head of a system. You know, that is, that is truly a sort of, um, strategy person who deals with, you know, um, basically lobbying the legislature. So, um, and, you know, in dealing with Washington, she obviously has the contacts there. Um, so, um, you know, that's, that's sort of what the job is. Lynn Bonner, uh, you spent some time, uh, focused on the pay component of this. I wonder, I, you know, I don't think we should get, wrap up this part of the conversation without at least some uh, mention of uh, the pay. They removed Tom Ross, and of course, uh, Margaret Spellings will be paid a substantial amount of money more. Uh, bring us up to speed on that. Right. She's going to be making, initially, her base pay is going to be $775,000 a year, but there are opportunities for her to add on to that um, with performance pay each year. What's interesting is that um, they have a contract which is relatively new for assistant president, and they've said that if she, they're going to, she's going to work out um, goals with the Board of Governors and link those to uh, performance pay. So in addition to her base salary, she'll have a chance to make more money, which uh, already she's going to be one of the highest paid um, system presidents in the country and will have an opportunity to make more. Um, that's become an issue. Um, you know, the House Democrats used uh, that pay issue as part of their questioning of uh, her the choice of spellings and in their fundraising email. Of course, they um, are also continuing to question the ouster or the forced uh, resignation of um, Tom Ross. So um, there's going to be more to report on that as the years go by under a contract, how much more money she's going to be able to add on top of her um, regular annual increases. Right, and that's $175,000 more than Ross is currently making. That's a big step up. It's definitely an increase. Now, uh, Jane Stansel, 
Uh, and Lynn Bonner, thank you for uh, thank you for joining us on that. Let's wrap this up with a question for Jane Stansel. Uh, well, first of all, when does when does she start? She starts March first, and um, so she hits the ground running at that point. I don't want to put you on the spot with a prediction or anything like that, but she we obviously have described that she has um, a lot of work ahead of her. Uh, but she also has, uh, is it fair to say, um, some bipartisan support? Do you have uh, a sense of that yet as you are, are you know, talking with folks, um, you know, that she's a choice of the Republicans. She's close with George W. Bush. Uh you know, but do you have a sense of whether she's going to get um, support from uh, in a bipartisan way as she moves forward? Yeah, I think that totally depends on sort of how she comes in and and what she, you know, attempts to do at the beginning. Um, people, uh, you know, she said to the faculty, give me a chance, you know. She's, her entire career has been tied to George W. Bush. Um, but she's also a person from from everything I can learn from speaking with people who've worked with her in the past that she's not, um, she's not easily categorized, um, you know, as as a right-wing Republican. She's not. She's a, she's a middle-of-the-road uh, Republican who uh, is someone who's been very adamant about, you know, solving the achievement gap, um, serving low-income students, serving more more diverse population. Um, so she's not easily um, put in a, a box, I think, and so it'll be interesting to watch. Yes, it will. Um, let's leave it there. And, of course, you will continue to report. I should mention uh, a really nice uh, profile that ran in the News and Observer, what, uh, I guess it was last Sunday, uh, that you put together. So if you want to read more about what people are saying about that, go dig that up if you missed it. And also, um, uh, I thought Rob Christensen had an interesting column uh, middle of the week, uh, just reminding people about, you know, here's who's been in this uh, slot before. And I think his conclusion was uh, there really isn't a, a mold uh, to this. So uh, if you missed that, uh, go take a look at that as well. Uh, let's take a break, and we will be back with our Headliners of the Week. Have you checked out the newly designed News and Observer this week? You'll see changes that make all of our products more visually appealing while giving you in-depth coverage and new ways of storytelling. Visit new.newsobserver.com to learn more about the new ways for your news day. As a listener to the Domecast, we have a special offer for you. You can receive the News and Observer Digital Edition for only 99 cents for four weeks. This includes unlimited access to NewsObserver.com, mobile, iPad apps, and the print replica e-edition. Just head over to NewsObserver.com, click subscribe at the top of the page, and enter the promo code DOMECAST to receive this special offer. And welcome back to the Domecast, a fascinating discussion there with Jane Stansel and Lynn Bonner about the UNC presidency. We thank them for joining us. We're going to shift uh, gears now and go with our headliners of the week. Let's see who we're going to bring in for that. Uh, looks like an all-news and observer cast. Uh, Colin Campbell of the News and Observer, Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer, and Liz Bell, intern Liz Bell 
with the news and observer. Patrick Gannon was around, uh, but uh, let's see. If he wanders in, we'll throw him on here as well. Uh, let's see. You all know the drill. It is 45 seconds. Nominate someone for a headliner of the week. We'll uh, get them in there and then pick somebody just for fun. So let's go first with Lizbell. Tell us who is your headliner of the week. I'm going to go with the six protesters who chained themselves to each other and blocked the street outside of the governor's mansion Thursday. Um, they were from several immigrants' rights organizations and made this symbol of dissatisfaction because of House Bill 318, um, which was signed by the governor Wednesday and gets rid of sanctuary cities um, and immigration identification cards. So, yep, I'm going to go with these protesters highlighting this important issue. Okay, good. So the protesters are in the hat. Uh, of course, that was an interesting issue. The governor uh, signing the bill in a ceremony at the uh, Greensboro, I think it was the sheriff's office in uh, Greensboro, and uh, fundraising going on around that issue. A fascinating uh, topic. Uh, Republicans, of course, uh, followed the protesters as well, pointing out that they were tying up resources. And so uh, Liz Bell puts protesters, we'll call or that issue, in the hat. Uh, let's go now with uh, Craig Jarvis. Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer. Tell us who is your headliner of the week. It's going to be uh, Jeb Bush, mainly because his political fortunes or misfortunes kind of lap onto our shores here. He, early this year, was the first of the candidates to set up a uh, a uh, structure in North Carolina, an organization, and the most extensive one that's to date, really, involving some prominent uh, Republicans as well as some political operatives from uh, on the national scene and in the state scene. So, um, what's what I'm wondering about is if he, if Bush continues to uh, head southward, uh, even though it's early, at some point he's going to lose uh, uh, the interest of the backers, and so I'm wondering. What's going to happen in North Carolina? Are, are those people going to bail out? Or is the money going to move in different directions? Uh, we don't know yet, but uh, it, it's uh, Bush is kind of languishing right now. Very good. So Jeb Bush, a uh, one-time frontrunner, now even has Craig Jarvis asking questions about uh, his candidacy. And Okay, so let's go now to Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. Colin Campbell, tell us. Who is your headliner of the week? I'm going with sort of a lesser-known name, David Schmidt, who's the uh, chief operating officer of Industrial Hemp Manufacturing, which has a new uh, hemp processing facility uh, nearing completion in Springhope, North Carolina. He was one of the driving forces behind the uh, bill that made its way through the legislature in the final days of the session to legalize industrial hemp for uh, farming and uh, processing here in North Carolina, obviously used in textiles and many, many other things, um, and has for a long time, not been a legal crop in North Carolina, but thanks to uh, Mr. Schmidt's uh, lobbying along with some other backers of uh, hemp, it, it will become legal at midnight, uh, assuming the governor doesn't veto between now and then. All right. So, uh, Colin, the um, the issue there, of course, questions about... Now, I guess the question is, uh, so farmers will start growing uh, this hemp and will people be stopping, you know, as they're driving down the road and, and grabbing a bush out of the field and taking it home and uh, smoking it? Well, that's been the concern for a long time because uh, there, hemp does have this stigma of being associated with marijuana. The plants look fairly similar. 
Um, and we've been assured by the uh, hemp folks and, and some of the research that they've pointed to that there's such a low content of THC, the active ingredient in marijuana in hemp plants, uh, that you have to smoke a joint the size of a telephone pole in order to get high. And in doing so, uh, you'd be consuming the contents of several doses of laxatives. So if you like marijuana, hemp is probably not a good substitute. Okay, so I think that's the first mention of laxative on the Domecast. Good. So, um, all right, I guess that's it, right? We've got everybody in. Um, all right, so let's see. Who's in the hat? David Schmidt, uh, protesters and that whole issue around uh, the immigration and uh, sanctuary cities. And also into the hat is uh, Jeb Bush and... Jeb Bush will come out of the hat. So I'll go ahead with uh, Craig with with uh, Jeb Bush as a headliner of the week, kind of uh, going more of a federal uh, route, if you will. And it is getting to be a moment where uh, that campaign, and of course, uh, if, if, if depending on how that goes, it, it changes a, a lot of the complexion and the direction of the Republican side of the uh, presidential campaign. So... Uh, that's a good one. So we'll go with Jeb Bush. And of course, I think we just put a good show in the books. Uh, special thanks to Jane Stansel for joining us and, uh, that insight on the Margaret Spellings, uh, search and that whole process. And of course, Lynn Bonner. Uh, so very good. We will, of course, keep following that issue, all of these issues, and we will see you soon. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 